Good afternoon, welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, Editor-in-Chief of The National Pulse.com. And it's rainy on Capitol Hill today, but the real deluge, well, there are two. One is at the U.S. southern border. Extraordinary, extraordinary numbers of people flocking to the U.S. southern border right now. Joe Biden claiming in his ABC interview, oh, it wasn't me. I had nothing to do with it. I never told people to come to the border. Actually, yes, he did. In fact, he told people to surge to the border. The other deluge right now is the deluge of backfiring that's happening on the political left right now. You think about it. Near a Tandon. Today we got the scalp of Alexei McCammond. Meghan Markle as unpopular as ever. And the new Rasmussen polling saying that two-thirds of Americans do not want Joe Biden's tax increases. I don't think we've ever seen two-thirds in opposition to an administration, a regime as I call it, just six weeks in on one of their major, major policy pronouncements. It is extraordinary what's going on out there right now, and it totally, totally lays waste to the mainstream media's phony and false narrative that this is the most popular president by popular vote that has ever existed in the United States. It just is so clear now that it did not happen. You and I know, ladies and gentlemen, you and I know, for us it was clear on November the 4th. But I think a lot more people are waking up to this now. They're looking, you know, and people look in different places. They're looking at the YouTube likes, the ratios. They're looking at the polling. They're looking at what's going on on the border. They're looking at everything and they're going, wait a minute. This isn't two and a half years in. It's not three years in and the guys had a terrible run of it. This is six weeks in. And everything's falling apart. It's like visibly falling apart. You know what's not falling apart is the fencing on Capitol Hill still there. No no sign of any attacks, by the way. Have you noticed this? No sign of any attacks. Not even any protesters outside of it, let alone any attacks on the Capitol. But the fence remains and the razor wire remains and the quote-unquote homeless encampments wink, wink, nudge, nudge, remain here on Capitol Hill. 15 now, 15 tents outside Union Pub on Massachusetts and D Street, Northeast, right, right on the border. I don't mean, I don't mean 500 yards. I mean 10 yards from the border of the Capitol fencing. You got the the National Guard stare at this homeless, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, encampment every day. I walked past it just now. I posted some of the uh, some of the pictures I took in my Telegram channel. I guess I'm on Telegram. T 
t.me forward slash Raheem Kassam. Go and have a look at the pictures. These are not homeless people. These are not people without homes. And we'll continue investigating what exactly is going on down there. Because they get very hostile when you try and ask them what's going on. And, you know, the fence stays up, the razor wire stays up. No need for it, of course. It is the sign of a flailing and failing totalitarian regime. And when have you ever, ever heard of Vladimir Putin challenging the US president to a live debate? Because that's not that's what's now happening. Yes, the breaking news of Thursday afternoon on March the 18th, the year of our Lord 2021, is that the Russian president has challenged the president of the United States to a live debate. Look, frankly, he wouldn't have even done that under Obama. Vladimir Putin would have been worried about losing a rhetorical battle. Wouldn't have done it with Trump. Wouldn't have done it with, probably wouldn't have even done it with Bush. So feel the competitors and adversaries of the United States so sure in defeating the president live on stage that Vladimir Putin is out there right now challenging him to a live debate. Somebody's trying to put Biden in the corner, and it appears to be working. My next guest knows a thing or two about it, because he was there in the room when the first humiliation, this is now the second humiliation at the hands of the former KGB officer, Vladimir Putin. But the first time it happened, my guest was in the room. Mike McCormick joins us on the line now. He is the author of the great book, Joe Biden Unauthorized. Make sure you go to JoeBidenUnauthorized.com and pick up a copy. It has a fantastic new article up at the NationalPulse.com. Mike, this story is going gangbusters right now on the site. Tens of thousands of people already have read this today in the short few hours that it's been up. I'm sure hundreds of thousands in the days to come. So let me ask you, let me start by saying welcome and let me ask you this, Mike. Joe Biden went up on television with George Stephanopoulos the other day and he gave this, you know, extensive, they said extensive interview. It was about 14 minutes. So it's extensive in Biden world. Extensive interview. And he can't help himself, Mike, but to to but to reiterate this lie that we hear so oh, I mean, he does it all the time with all sorts of different things. You know, corn pop and the vaccines are his and all these other lies. And, you know, the Neil Kinnock story that he tried to pass off as his own. All these lies that Biden tells over and over again, and this is one of them. The lie is that he looked Vladimir Putin in the eye and said, you don't have a soul. And Putin looks back at him and goes, good, then we understand one another. You know, this is incredibly, incredibly made for television story, but there's no evidence that it ever happened, Mike, and there's plenty of evidence that it didn't. Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about your travels with Joe Biden when he was vice president and your new article up on the National Pulse. Well, yeah, and thanks for having me on, Raheem. You know, 
Yeah, I was in the room, and it was almost to the day 10 years ago. Wow. It was March 2011. I had just started working for the, I, had been, I was a White House stenographer from 2002 through 2017. So I worked with President Bush, President Obama, and President Trump for a year. And in 2011, in the winter, Joe Biden was a really hard guy for our, for our office to cover because he was so volatile, always speaking, always moving, always running around. He's not that guy anymore. Going to uh, Putin's Russia in 2011, March, was a, was a big move for him. And you have to go back to that time and, and recall, at that time, Vladimir Putin was not the president of Russia as he is now. He was the prime minister. Right. The head guy was Medvedev, the, the president. And he was just sort of installed. Everyone considered him sort of a temporary placeholder while Putin was uh, constitutionally removed from office. And then Putin reinstalled himself. So now he's back being the president. But that happened at a time, and you also have to go back to that time and recall, Barack Obama had just been won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the Obama White House was flying high with the thought that they knew everything there was to know about the world. And they had this misguided notion that they could go over to Russia and get Medvedev to sort of nudge Putin out of the way so they could have a really great future together the Obama White House and the Medvedev White House. And that just flopped. So they had this thing back then called the reset. Remember the reset? Hillary Clinton came out with a silly little plastic button. Oh, the button. Well, Joe, bu the, the button, right? And it was a, it was a clown show because. By the way, Mike, the, Mike, the name Mike wrong. just, just, just on that. Yes. On that point, I, I just want to make it very clear because, you know, it's, it's actually been a very long time since then. You and I don't think of it as a long time because that, that is still very, very much in our memories. But there is a, there's a whole new audience of people who have been attracted to politics and, frankly, who have become old enough to be interested in politics in that time. So just, just remind us what the, what the button was. So the button was this, it was a silly plastic red button. It was popular in a commercial back then. And it said, you know, this is easy. And somebody pressed the button. Well, you know, Hillary Clinton sort of brought this top prop out in this meeting she had with the uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov, and he told her that she said this is for the Russian reset. He said you don't you don't have the word right. You know, she botched the translation. So it was as elemental. There were so many missteps back there. Uh, Joe Biden was very proud of bragging about all his uh, foreign policy experience over his years back then. One of the things he bragged about was he was the guy that coined the phrase the reset. Mm. He coined it at the um, Munich Security Conference in 2009. So he gets on this trip to Russia with Putin, and it's a big deal. It's really a bigger deal he's meeting Medvedev, but the big guy to meet for him was Putin. Everybody knew. And, and Biden was going to go mano on mano. You know, he was going to go one on one with the big guy. And he had in the back of his mind, and this is what he said in the Sinopolis uh, interview. Um, I had in my mind what George W. Bush said. He, you know, George Bush met Putin and said, I got a sense of a soul. I, you know, I looked in his eyes and got a sense of a soul. Right. He was trying to be sort of encouraging. That was back in like, I think, 2002. Um, so, you know, Biden, of course, wanted to, you know, do his own version of that. 
So he goes into this. We're in Moscow. So hold on. Wait, wait, we, wait, 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 wait. Mike, you're telling me that even just the theory, the underlying point of saying this was plagiarized. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He was going to one-up Bush. He was going to, you know, come up with his idea to be even better than Bush. And in the, and I'll be honest with you, in the back, Joe, uh, Joe Biden back then was a very patronizing guy behind the scenes in the White House. Yeah. I think in the back of his mind, he also wanted to uh, show up Barack Obama. Barack Obama had a meeting, a very contentious meeting with Putin early on in his, uh, in his presidency, and it was in Russia, and Putin basically reamed him for an hour or more without Obama even getting a word in. He was reaming about what, he, what Bush had done and all this stuff. And that was explained to me on the plane ride over, on Air Force Two on the plane ride over. So the, the Biden people were really focused on, on sort of having Joe have this great moment with Putin that would really show his international status. So we get over there. The, the meeting takes place in the Russian White House. This is the building in Moscow. It's pretty drab and dreary, Soviet architecture. But it's where uh, Boris Yeltsin rolled tanks up outside of the uh, Russian White House and shelled it with tanks and killed a bunch of opposition politicians and basically took over his, you know, inserted himself in the presidency. That was in the uh, Clinton years. That was like 93, I think. Mm. So this is the history of this place. Uh, Biden goes in there. They have a meeting with uh, Putin. What happened then, and I, as a stenographer, was my duty was to record what uh, Biden said with Putin only in front of the press. And there was one other press guy in the group. His name was Jonathan Weissman. He was from the Wall Street Journal. So we go to the White House. My role was to wait outside while they're doing this preliminary meeting. It's called a grip and grin. They kind of have the photographers in there. They're standing in front of these flags. Those photos were shown in this Stenophilus. Gosh, I'm going to keep muddling that guy's name. George's interview, yeah. the ABC interview. And that that is the beginning. I think Biden would, for years after this, before this, this interview came out, he said, yeah, I got a private tour of Putin's office. And I, he was bragging about how up-to-date and how modern and how elegant it was. And I told him, well, capitalism is working pretty good for you. He said that on several occasions. I put that in a transcript that I did for him. Yeah. So that was his general story. That seems to me to tell me that this, this meeting, this meeting with Putin, took place before the next level of meetings was going to take place, which was in a conference room with all their emissaries involved. I think that's when Biden... Said, if he did say it with Putin, I think that's when he said it, at the beginning of the meeting. Then they go into this, this conference room, and they call in me and the guy from the Wall Street Journal. We go into the conference room, and there's a battery of local press against the far wall. There's TV cameras. Mm. There's TV lights. There's tripods. There's uh, scribble reporters, uh, print reporters, photographers. But not with us. We were sort of in this travel group. So we were, I was actually standing five feet behind Vladimir Putin when this meeting started. Oh, wow. I crouched up as close as I could against the wall, and I ran my report. That's what my job is to do. The meeting started with Putin talking through an interpreter, blah, blah, blah. One of the things he said, and this, I put this in my book, 
he welcomed Biden and he noted how many years of experience he had in coming to Russia. Well, that was to me was the bait because every time Joe Biden got at that point of his career, got praised for his experience, he would go on a long, long discussion about his great experiences and all the history that he's seen and all the great people that he's met. And, it, you know, he'd always start off with, I've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the bait. So Putin threw the bait out. They did a little bit of a discussion. There was a little bit of dance around the concept. Putin basically threw a, a hot potato in the middle of the discussion and said, hey, how about if, like, you, like the U.S. has with the European Union, you have the same visa, uh, ease of visa um, passage with Russia? We can just let Russian people go into the U.S. just like you let you know European Union people go into the U.S. And I just sort of shrugged that off. But that became a big deal in news reports today. After that, Putin goes on. They do sort of, we're a great economy. Biden's, yeah, we're here. And he gets to a point in his discussion where he goes, I've been doing this a long time. And Putin cuts the lights. And there's rough Russian voices saying, rawr, rawr, you know, out of here, out of here, out of here. Leave, leave now. Right in the middle of Joe Biden's sentence. I've been doing this for 15 years. I did it for three presidents. I've never, ever seen a world leader cut somebody off in mid-sentence like Come that. Come on, man. That's the only time I've ever seen. Exactly. Come <laughs> on, man. And so, you know, it was, it was a snub, and it was a premeditated snub. And Joe Biden, in this interview yesterday with Stephanopoulos, there, I got it, he goes, yeah, I told him I looked at his eye, and, and he had no soul. He, maybe he did that. Maybe he didn't. We've never had anybody but Joe Biden say that. That's never been confirmed by Putin. Right. But what I do know is Joe Biden got punked. He got publicly humiliated by Vladimir Putin. And the press didn't write about it. It didn't come out of, it didn't come out of Russia. And the guy who was the pool reporter, Jonathan Weissman from the Wall Street Journal, as we're leaving the room, after all this is out, he goes, wow, Joe Biden gets gonged in Moscow twice. Remember, there was this old show called The Gong Show where people mm-hmm. that did a terrible job would get gonged off the stage, and that's what he was referring to. And basically he was saying Joe, Joe Biden got gonged off the stage by the Russians twice because something like that had happened that the evening Chuck, before with Medvedev. Chuck Barris. So, was that Chuck Barris? Chuck yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and by the way, we're sitting in this room and Joe Biden was speechless. All of his com- colleagues there, his emissaries, and one of them was Tony Blinken. They realized this is the biggest insult we could have. So they had a little bit of a discussion with me. We don't, we want you to put a special note in the transcript, you know, interrupting to proceedings. And I said, okay, I can do that. And then later they said, you know what? We put the transcript up on the website and we took that off. We just left it as it is. And I said, okay, sure. You know, at that point in time, I'm working for them. What they want, that's what I'll I'll agree to. So that's what happened. But it was an example of how inept and how uh, easily manipulated Joe Biden is. Putin saw it. He saw him coming. He knew he could manipulate this guy. And the story afterward was how... And Joe Biden would spit a story. I looked, in his, I looked in his eyes and told him he had no soul. That's just, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. Mm. It's never been confirmed, but it certainly wasn't what I saw. I saw Joe Biden, Joe Biden publicly humiliated. And after that, immediately after that, 
he started doing what Vladimir Putin wanted, it was a complete humiliation accompanied by a, a session to his every demand. What Putin wanted was he wanted uh, the Russian Federation to be acceded into the World Trade Organization. Right. They wanted Russia to join the World Trade Organization. And so Biden, the very next day, wrote an, uh, an op-ed in the International Herald Tribune, you know, urging that Russia get the session to the World Trade Organization. And for the next two years, as they bragged about the reset and they bragged about how great the relationship was with Vladimir Putin, they talked about this World Trade Organization session. Mm. That played into their campaign for 2012. Remember, the Romney-Ryan ticket came out and said, Putin is a, is a real enemy. we got to watch for him. And they got ridiculed by Biden and Obama oh, many, yeah. many times on the stumps. Oh, Remember that? Yeah, the 1980s called. It wants its foreign policy back. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, this is all just where the press lets Biden get away with this stuff. And Putin's calling him out. You're right. Yeah. Putin is calling him out. He's painting him into a corner. Yeah. There's no other way to look at it. But Joe Biden doesn't have the presidential gravitas to take on Vladimir Putin, and Vladimir Putin's letting the world know that. Well, it's a good thing that he doesn't even regard himself as president, Mike. Today, Joe Biden referred to President Harris. <laughs> He's just... <laughs> It's <laughs> just extraordinary. I think you're right. He's being put in a corner. And, and, and let's, uh, let's ask the question, why? You know, he's got his top, top, top diplomats. People who used to work for the Chinese Communist Party, by the way, at their, uh, the centers that they fund at Harvard University and the think tanks that they fund in Washington, D.C., people who had been fellows there, he's got them meeting with CCP people in Alaska, right, right now this evening and he needs to show strength somewhere on the world stage because he knows that no strength is going to come out of that meeting in anchorage right it's just not possible or believable that you could have i was going to say former ccp running dogs but i don't think former actually does apply i think jake sullivan and those types are just ccp running dogs they're not going to come back to washington dc with a victory so biden thought in that stephanopoulos interview or maybe Biden didn't think. Biden's Biden's advisors thought he needs a victory. He needs to look tough. Tell the Putin story, right? True or false? Right. Tell the Putin story. So he tells the Putin story, but these idiots, and I know I know I'm quite rude, but these idiots like Jen Psaki uh, uh, don't reckon with the fact that Vladimir Putin is just going to come out and go, well, all right, you know, you can call me a name in a 14-minute interview with George Stephanopoulos, but how about you and I debate mano a mano on stage for all the world to see? I mean, what right. what, what is the president of the United States going to say to that, Mike? Exactly. And, you know, how does Tony Blink... I mean, Joe Biden can't go face-to-face with Putin. He can't travel to Russia. He's already been corrupt. <laughs> and uh, compromised by, by Putin. You know, he's working for Putin. And same with Blinken. They have no standing with those guys. What do you, what do you mean when you say that? Just qualify that for it. What do you mean when you say that? Because you mentioned this in your article. Specifically, you mentioned this big money uh, uh, changing hands between some of Putin's big donors and the Biden family. Uh, I, I said in the article... Um, Tony Blinken is, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean about the, the, the hunter, money changing the, hands. The, the Hunter Biden, the Hunter oh, Biden. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So later, you know, after the reset happened, mm. Hunter Biden 
is tag, the Russians get them. They, they compromised Hunter Biden, right? This is Putin getting back at Joe Biden saying, hey, man, I got your kid in, on compromise list. This was three and a half in, million you know, dollars. Three and a half million dollars. The Senate um, Homeland Security Governmental Affairs uh, Committee looked at the money transfers, and they found one from the wife of the mayor of Moscow, who's a good friend of Vladimir Putin, to Hunter Biden in February 2014. $300 million. That's, Bi- that's Biden's son being compromised by the Russians. It wasn't just Joe, and it wasn't just Tony Blinken. It's Hunter. They're compromised up and down the list. Okay, and Mike. Tony Blinken's the guy who's over there trying to get through this meeting with the Chinese. Mike, so here's the scenario. I mean, here's what here's what the feckless Biden foreign policy people have now set up. They've been trying to be tough on Russia because they can't be tough on China. They've set up this situation where now Putin says, all right, let's debate. Uh, you know, obviously you can't have a president stooping to debating the president of Russia in a live thing. I mean, that would just be an embarrassment of the office. But let's imagine for a second that he did, right? Let's imagine for a second that Biden and somebody around Biden convinces uh, him that, yeah, you could take him. We should definitely do that. Why don't we Why don't we set up a, a – but we'll do it on Zoom or something, right? So you don't have to travel anywhere. And they have this debate. Well, the first thing that Putin obviously comes out and says in any debate is, hey, by the way, that $3.5 million that has been, uh, you know, has been floated around in national security circles in Washington, D.C., I actually did sign off on that and I did compromise your son. Let's get on with this debate. I mean, he, Biden would right. have to be served impeachment papers on the stage, Mike. Right. Yeah. No. And, and there's more to it. I mean, in the book, I have a whole chapter on the Ukraine corruption. That wasn't directly Putin, but I'm sure Putin has pretty good contacts in Ukraine, and he <laughs> knows what what uh, Biden was up to with his sleazy son and his sleazy son's sleazy business partner with Burisma Holdings, and that's where Jake Sullivan comes in. He was in on that, and that's a pretty sleazy operation those guys did. Tony Blinken wasn't in on the Ukraine sleazy stuff, mm. but he was there in Moscow, and now he's running the show, and Tony Blinken is a fork-tongued swamp reptile with fabulous hair. And that's all he is. <laughs> and he, you know, he's now the Secretary of State. The Russians are looking in like, you're just a, you're, you know, we, will, we already know who you are. You don't, we have no respect for you. Right, right. Well, Mike, I know you're going to be doing the uh, the media rounds on this story. It's up at the nationalpulse.com exclusive. Putin humiliated Biden in Moscow meeting reveals Obama era White House stenographer Mike McCormick. That's you. Just tell the audience where can they get your book because it's full of juicy nuggets like this. Yes, the book is on www.joebidenunauthorized.com. And if you buy it from the website, it's also on Amazon, but if you buy it from the website, which we highly recommend from the War Room crew, uh, 10% of all website sales go to national, of my website sales, go to National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Because Joe Biden and the Democrats have turned their backs on our Blue Lives families and our Blue Lives officers. Well, Mike, I, you know, I really love the fact that Amazon has put off so many of us that we're actually finding ways not just to get around Amazon, but actually to do some good in the world while we do it. And I thank you for doing that. Mike, thank you so much for writing this epic, epic story, telling the truth, putting us in the room in Moscow with you all those years ago um, and, and, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for joining us here, Mike McCormick. 
Thanks, Raheem. Talk soon. Don't go away. Now I want to bring in somebody to the show who I know you all love to hear from, and that person is none other than that's the phone ringing. I love that when I love doing the live phone in thing here, especially when she doesn't answer. Oh, there she is. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I was putting my phone on. Do not disturb. So. Oh, very good. <laughs> didn't very get good. any messages. I didn't even I'm get around. To, yeah. I didn't even get around to introducing you yet, but I'm sure the audience knows oh. uh, the voice by this <laughs> point. It's none other than Natalie Winters. Or should I, you, you, you used to be called Natalie Scoops. I think I'm going to start calling you Scalps <laughs> because of the latest. Good one. Yeah, thank you very much. Been working on that all afternoon. Um, <laughs> the latest uh, breaking story up at the nationalpulse.com is Scalp. National Pulse reporting leads to resignation of woke teen Vogue editor Alexi McCammon. Natalie, talk us through who the heck is Alexi McCammond? In fact, can I do this? Can I, if I say Alexi McCammond, oh, there we go. There you go. <laughs> um, Alexi McCammond, tell us who that is and what has happened to dear Alexi. So Alexi McCammond used to work at Axios and I'm inclined to say maybe a month or two, two ago, yeah. uh, she, she made headlines for being in a relationship throughout the presidential campaign with an individual by the name of T.J. Ducklow, who was a pretty high-level advisor to Jen Psaki. Uh, so we focused on the angle that, obviously, you had collusion b- between an outlet that was covering the campaign. Supposed this is, to be this a, is, this is Alexi McCammond, as a reporter at Axios, is in a relationship with a senior Biden staffer. Yes, throughout the campaign, yet somehow they thought taking her off the, the campaign and presidential beat and putting her on Vice President Harris would somehow remedy <laughs> the conflict of interest. But <laughs> not to get too much into that. But so then she she's supposed to join Teen Vogue, which I'm sure people are familiar with in the last few years. It has really abandoned talking about things that teenagers are interested in and has published very bizarre articles calling for basically calling for communist revolution and talking about some, some really odd sex things, yep. uh, something that, you know, yeah. Uh, but anyways, hey, yeah. Joined, <laughs> glossing <laughs> over that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's disgusting. They publish podcast. disgusting things and I don't want to talk about them. And I'm sure you don't either. So, but, but just so the audience knows, I mean, this is, this is wildly, wildly far left degenerate, uh, you know, a hardline secularist, atheistic, um, sexual stuff that's aimed at teenagers. I, I remember, actually, I was subscribed to it at one oh point. Goodness. And when they published that infamous article, um, forget exactly what it was about because I didn't read it. But I remember <laughs> my mom called them and yelled at them down, down the phone and canceled my subscription and told them, you know, what are you doing? My daughter is however old I was at the time. Well, you were uh, only a teenager last week, so... <laughs> I was going to say, I, I am the, uh, the clientele. You are the demographic. Uh, yeah, I, I'm who they should be, be courting, but instead I guess I'm canceling their uh, newest editor-in-chief. But, <laughs> but so, no, so Alexi uh, departs Axios and is supposed to join Teen Vogue as the newest editor-in-chief. But 
prior to the National Post jumping on the story, some tweets uh, relating to what the media called anti-Asian sentiment, homophobia, racism, mm. resurfaced, which, which were from about a decade ago. Uh, she apologized for those. But in the t- within the, the Teen Vogue newsroom and ecosystem there, there was a lot of pushback, uh, people complaining that, you know, what she said should disqualify her from running the publication. I believe there was a because Because lock. in their world, they're so far left, they're so far... Uh, nutty about cancel culture that that you can't even apologize right you can't say i'm i'm sorry and i've learned that's it your your life's over as far as these guys are concerned exactly i would say the the right-wing media outlets uh kind of supplied the raw material and that they reported on these tweets which is just the news it's just the facts but then the team Vogue newsroom took it to a level where it totally disqualified her making her incapable of you know running a, a newsroom or running a, a website or a publication i don't even think it's in print anymore i don't know but i know they've cut down on a lot of staff i, I remember reading that uh but anyways i was uh curious to to take the the national pulse uh look into to her past and right. found her old blog and she called i believe it was naked discourses so maybe that's fitting for teen vogue but Interestingly enough, she had some some blog posts detailing her time uh, as an undergraduate where she talks really quite frankly about about black people talking about black on black racism, Mm -hmm. which interestingly enough, Teen Vogue has issued a host of articles, written a host of articles, their contributors and their authors talking about how that phenomenon doesn't exist and that, you know, black on black violence, they call that a dangerous myth. so just very at odds with the Teen Vogue newsroom. Again, obviously we don't support cancel culture, but we're yeah, for but, reporting but, the facts, reporting old well, tweets because they would do the same to us. Well, Natalie, it's 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 the old Tony Soprano line: uh, if you can quote the rules, you can effing obey them, right? And 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 if they're going to go around quoting the rules at our side, their side, whatever, they can effing obey them. And if they're not going to, we're going to hold them up to their own standards. Uh, exa- exactly. I know I say exactly all the time, but you, you are correct. But I think I buried the lead on the whole thing yeah. in that we also found a picture, uh, a tweet that has been deleted for some some time, mm. uh, but of her attending a Halloween party and committing the, the cardinal sin in left-wing politically correct culture of participating in cultural appropriation by wearing uh, what seemed to be a Native American costume with the headdress and, and the whole outfit. Mm. Uh, and I believe she captioned the picture Halloween with a couple of extra E's and, and exclamation marks. Uh, so that was really the brunt of our reporting and what the New York Times seemed to pick up on if you read the story that they put up, which yeah. they didn't I'll, mention us by name. Well, that's <laughs> you thing. can get it. I'll let, I'll let you get into that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> But I'll, they mentioned that. Go ahead. Yeah, they mentioned with the, the uh, executives, including I think Anna Wintour, Mm. Uh, and, and one of the kind of diversity officers at, at the publication, they had a discussion uh, about the tweets, about the resurfaced tweets, specifically the National Pulse uh, one that we, we uncovered. So the National Pulse is making its way into the, the Vogue uh, newsroom. <laughs> into Anna Wintour's head. I want to read from the New York Times because the people will know if they watch the War Room show this morning that I mentioned. I got an email from the New York Times last night. I told you about it as well, Natalie. Uh, it's always suspect when re- media reporters at the New York Times just randomly reach out to me, so I treat it with skepticism and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, 
tongue-in-cheek humour, let's say. Uh, and the New York Times was sort of, you know, asking bizarre questions of, hey, you know, are you, are you, do you and the National Pulse keep a, a database of all the tweets that have ever come out of journalists and blah, blah, blah? And, you know, my answer in my head is, yeah, it's called Twitter.com, <laughs> you know, and, and, and archive websites. But no, I just went back to her and I said, look, we do, we do, I know that the New York Times has forgotten how to do this, but we just do old, good old fashioned reporting. We have real sources and we, and we search databases like that are freely available for anybody to look uh look through and 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 that's how we get a lot of our uh international foreign policy farrah related stories natalie that you do um and and it's no different in this regard as well so i want to quote from the new york times here just so people realize just how (laughs) to what lengths the establishment will go to make sure that ordinary people uh on in their readership don't hear about the national pulse quote Although the company was a, was aware of the racist tweets, it did not know about the homophobic tweets or a photo, also from 2011, that was recently published by a right-wing website showing her in Native American costume at a Halloween party, the executive said. The vetting process did not turn up additional material because it had been deleted, the executive said. Well, now, firstly, Natalie... Shouldn't the New York Times cancel itself by calling Native American traditional dress a costume? Right? <laughs> no, well, look if Very we want to go right. If we want to go down this rabbit hole, let let let's do it. Um, but secondly, right wing website. No credit for Natalie Winters. No credit for the National Pulse. Uh, but of course, these establishment news outlets are the first, the first to demand demand airtime and credit and plaudits and give themselves awards uh, when they break news stories. Shock horror, Natalie. I don't know if you have. I've not been called by even any conservative outlets on the political right. I doubt they'll mention us. I doubt they'll link to us. This is the controlled opposition of Conservative Inc. And I include places i used to work uh in that as well it's disgusting it's depraved but hey we're not here for the plaudits uh i think it's just uh, amazing reporting and an amazing scalp so congratulations to you natalie i, I will be sending you a, uh, a framed picture of alexi mccammon <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> anything further to I add i will say i will say though last time we canceled someone and uh the old tweet that we had reported on led to the firing of a Democratic Hill staffer who, again, very similarly to Alexi McCammond, really crusaded on the whole anti-racism. I'm so woke. I yeah. think he was the, the congressman why that she worked the, why for. Why are all the anti-racist the, racist, by the way? Yeah, that's maybe the, the bigger thing we need to investigate here. But I do remember when she launched uh, her own website to address the controversy, she referred to us as a Breitbart adjacent blog. So at least we're moving up because now we're a website and not a blog. So maybe next time, which there are many more to come. Uh, And it's not a database. It's from twitter.com. Which is a database (laughs) really in a way. Yeah. But I should have said yes. uh, Maybe, maybe next time. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Jack Dorsey manages it for me. Jack Dorsey is my database manager. Yeah, and you can access it too. <laughs> I'll give you but a yeah. login. I'll yeah. give you your email address. I'll make you a login. Yeah, not the National Pulse <laughs> login because we've been uh, banned on there. But That's true. definitely. That's true. Yeah. All right, Natalie, we've got to leave it there. Uh, but I thank you for your time. Great scoop. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 
Well, that's it. Oh, all right. Bye. <laughs> well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen, for the show today. Um, I really enjoyed. It's not always enjoyable doing the news. Believe me, sometimes it's absolutely miserable and depressing. But I like when we get on the front foot. And if you like being on the front foot too, why don't you come on over and support our work? The website is fundrealnews.com. Alternatively, you can go to thenationalpulse.com forward slash support. I want to thank some of our newest members who have joined up. Joe and Richard and Liz and Nina and Nicole, Luciana, Leslie, Catherine, Kevin, Angelia. I think I'm reading that right. Wanda, Christine, Pamela, Yola, John, R.H., Angela, Pamela, Laura, Donna, Susan, Tammy, Shauna, Anne, Brian, Norman. I like the name Norman. Christina, Robert, Mark, Brad, Tom, Joanne, Mara, Glenn, Robert, JV, Wendy, Rick, Greg, Jennifer, Colleen. I thank you all for joining up and funding Real News. You are real people. We don't take money off millionaires or billionaires. We are 100% people powered. That's the website anyway. I am 100% ethanol fueled in the sense that I am going to go and enjoy a big, fat Johnny Walker Black to celebrate the scalp of Alexi McCammon. I'll see you again tomorrow.